As I said earlier, my name's Rowan, one of the pastors here, and today we just get a moment to think about what it means to belong. See, one of the greatest human desires is the desire to belong. You know, since the invention of the DNA uh, ancestry test, like these ones on screen, over 30 million people have taken a DNA test to work out where they belong how they fit in, who they are, and it's so alluring, isn't it? We want to know who we are, we want to know where we've come from and what we have in, in our bodies and in our histories. Uh, for me, my mum was adopted, and so I don't know my biological parents on, on my mum's side of the family. And one time, a, a friend for my 18th birthday gave me a didgeridoo, and I could just play it and do the circular breathing. So Sarah thinks I'm part Aboriginal somewhere. I don't really know, but that's a reality in my family that I'd love to know really what is there. But each of us have a deep desire, don't we, to, to belong, to know who we are and where we fit into the world around us. Social scientists call uh, this study of that wanting to belong social identity theory. And they suggest that every single one of us is driven by the need to answer one of these two questions. Who am I and where do I belong? That's what drives us as the human race and as people. Who am I and where do I belong? And this festive time of year often provides an indicator of our level of belonging, doesn't it? We get invited to so many festivities and gatherings, and we either love them or dread them, generally based on whether we feel like we belong there. That family party that you feel like you're awkward at, you're like, oh, I don't really want to go, or that work party where there's friends that you love, and you're like, this is exciting, or having to invite people around to your house that maybe one of you likes and the other one doesn't. Belonging is a massive issue. I grew up in a, in a pretty small family. It was just mum, dad and me. I was an only child. Um, because mum was adopted and dad's dad died when he was 18, our family was actually quite small. When we had family gatherings, there wasn't that many that kind of came together. Now, I thought it was pretty big, our little nuclear family of three, when we got together with the kind of 10 to 15 others in our wider family, was, was quite large. I was like, this is a big family gathering until I married Sarah. Because Sarah's family, Sarah's parents have uh, five siblings on one side and four siblings on the other. And so the aunties, the uncles, the cousins, the in-laws, it's a massive family gathering. And I remember going early on to one of these family gatherings thinking, this is like going to the, the shopping mall at Christmas. There's people everywhere. I don't even know who they are or where they're coming from. And I'm kind of standing there feeling like I'm a fish out of water. And the only way you could work out who people were was generally by the way they were dressed. See, within the family, there were different kind of backgrounds and different kind of, you knew that one that was well-dressed was from the kind of middle-class uncle. You're like, oh, and those kids there, those cousins, I knew where they were. Then there was the bogan side of the family. <laughs> the guys, and I, and I kid you not, that turned up with the hat looking like this. Two beers on either side and a straw that came through. And you're like, whoa. And I could just imagine my English grandmother with the most poshest accent, the most like the queen going, oh dear, I can't hang out with those people. They look like camels with their two beers on their hats. And, and you can just see the clash of cultures that come together. I hope that slide's not up there anymore distracting you. <laughs> now, while Sarah's family and wider family were incredibly loving and I, and I always felt like they cared for me, I always felt a little bit like I, I don't belong here. There's a reason why we call our in-laws the outlaws. Is that everyone here or just me? Right? They're called the outlaws for a reason. They're, they're a little bit different from us. Well, as we come to this time in Christmas, we all experience times where we feel like we don't belong. You might be feeling that here today. You've been invited along by someone and you're like, there's this guy up the front talking about things. He's a bit weird and awkward and thinks he's half Aboriginal and he's got family that's got two big things on their heads. I don't really belong here at all. 
And you might be thinking to yourself, these are not my people. But the question that we want to look at, we want to think about today is, how do we find our people? How do we find where we belong? That place of going, yes, this is a home and this is good. All of us want it. Well, the key to that question, believe it or not, I want to put to you today is actually Christmas. Christmas is the answer to our question of belonging. Christmas might be for you a tradition uh, where you kind of put up the tree and the lights and it's a festive season and there's lots of food and you put on too much weight or, or perhaps it's grandma's secret recipe that gets pulled out and no one else knows but it's amazing, whatever it is. And maybe for you it's a time where you and your family and friends all get together and catch up and it's a great time of joy or for others it might be a time of holiday and getting away from it all or perhaps for you it's one of the, the loneliest times of the year. Whatever Christmas is for you, the reason Christmas exists at all, the reason why the whole Western world stops this time of year is because of who showed up at Christmas. It's because of who showed up and his relationship to you and me because it's profoundly important for every single one of us. In John 1.14, we read these words about Jesus. We observed his glory. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In human history, the writers of history, people who recorded what went on, wrote down this reality about the person of Jesus. And they claimed that Jesus is the one and only Son of the Father. Now, at first reading, you kind of hear that and you're like, who cares if he's an only child, the one and only Son? And all the only children in the room go, hey, how dare you say that about us? We're so important and special, right? Or everyone else is like, yeah, I'm sick of you, only children. But it's verse 10 that helps us to clarify which father he is talking about. Look at uh, verse 9 and 10. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him. Friends, if that is true, what we are celebrating at Christmas is incredibly phenomenal and relevant to you and me. History claims that a real man called Jesus walked on this earth. He, he acted and did things on this earth and people saw him and interacted with him and wrote down what had gone on. And they claim that he was the creator of the universe. So many people celebrate Christmas. We love the holiday. But when it comes down to the question, did God become man? We too often put Jesus in the same category of as Bigfoot and the fairy godmother, that, that figments of our imagination, those things that are nice to believe in. If you want to go Bigfoot hunting in the Alps, you can. Or if you want to believe one group's mythical story, that's okay. As long as it doesn't offend me, then I'm fine. You can do that. And really, Christmas is just a great excuse for a holiday and a few beverages after work. But I want to say in the, in the nicest possible way that that view does not stand up to history. To history to the events of what people have recorded, not just Christians, but non-Christian sources of well, as well, all point to the fact that a man really walked this earth called Jesus of Nazareth, that people worshipped him as God and were willing to give up their lives to serve him. You see, his wife, his life, his works and his word, they, people changed their lives because of who this man is. They threw off their allegiances to, to family who wouldn't accept it 
to friends who wouldn't believe them, their cultural and religious identities, the gods of their ancestors. They even willingly suffered because they refused to deny Jesus was God. Now, sure, you might get some crazies throughout history who choose to do, follow some weird ideas. But Jesus changed the course of history. So many people who saw his life followed him and it grew and it grew and it grew. Here at Auckland EV, we run a course called Explaining Christianity, which really is just four weeknights, uh, where we get to look into the historical evidence of the life of the man called Jesus. I'm convinced that there is so much evidence for him being God that I think the only irrational response to Jesus is not to believe him. I think there are so many rational reasons to believe him. In 2013, um, Cambridge University Press published uh, the work of two significant uh, professors, Skinner and Ward, exploring the most significant people in human history. Uh, They assessed people from all sorts of uh, backgrounds, from Aristotle to Einstein, and used um, complex mathematical algorithms in this book, Who's the Biggest? Uh, They tried to rank who was the most significant person in human history. And they came to the conclusion that the most influential person from history was Jesus of Nazareth. Now, this is no Christian book. Neither professor claims any religious affiliation at all. What's the likelihood that a, a carpenter from Galilee, a tiny little town with absolutely no influence on the world scale, has, according to these Cambridge University Press scholars, become the most influential person in human history? Have you ever stopped to wonder, what if Jesus actually is who history claimed him to be? What if he actually is the one that when he spoke, creation came into being? What if when you hear his words, you're hearing the words of the one who made you and sustained you? I think there's so much evidence for that. I'd love you to be thinking through this. And at this time at Christmas, as we celebrate Jesus' birth, to not so busy ourselves with the trimmings of creation that we forget the creator. We forget the one who made us. Jesus has been so influential. The way that we think about our world, even if we don't follow him as our king, our justice system has been affected by him. Our view of human rights and morality and good and evil and education, so many areas of this world have been influenced by this man. We cannot bury our heads in the sand to who he is and what he's done. But we can be influenced by someone and not know them. And that's the tragedy of Christmas. Being influenced by the creator of the universe and not knowing him. As Jesus stepped onto the world stage, Luke tells us, Luke 10 in the second half, he was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize him. Now for the astute reader, that's in John, not Luke. I don't know why I said Luke, but it's in John. He was in the world, the world was created through him Yet the world did not recognize him. If anyone should have felt like they belonged in this world, it should have been Jesus, shouldn't it? I mean, he made the world. He created the world. He sustains the world. Colossians tells us the world was made by him, through him, and for him. And yet, me and you, our parents and our parents' parents, everyone who has ever lived naturally runs away from him. That's the tragedy of Christmas of God becoming flesh and the world not recognizing him. Now we come up with all sorts of reasons, don't we, why that's the case. He should have made himself clearer. 
He should have stepped onto the world stage in my time, not in their time, when we had video and we could play the video back and it would have been easier. He should have done a better job of, of, of looking after the world and, and there not being so much wrong and evil in the world. There are all sorts of questions that we address at explaining Christianity. But at the heart of all those questions is something incredibly ironic. While every single one of us wants to belong, we prefer to belong to ourselves than the God who made us. We prefer to call the shots in life. We actually prefer to say, no, I don't want to belong to anyone else. I want to be my own boss. Any idea that comes up suggesting someone else is in charge of my life and we get our heckles up, we hate that idea. You can't tell me what to do. We get offended. We're like, no, I want nothing to do with that. There's this human trajectory in our lives, a narrative so strong that we, we swallow a different view of the world than the, than the view we were made for and we deprive ourselves of true belonging. In 1995, a little movie company called Pixar released a movie that would end up being one of the third highest grossing movies of all time. Uh, none of its actors were real. Uh, it is still the highest placed animated film on Empire Magazine's list of the top 500 films ever made. It captivated audience across the world with a plotline of household toys who are on a quest to find their identity. Toy Story, right? It's this amazing story about the quest to belong. The Toy Story characters find themselves um, that their chief joy in life is actually to belong to their owner. First and foremost, they were Andy's toys. Do you remember Woody lifting up his shoe and saying, I'm Andy's, I belong to him, he's my owner, and it's so good, and he finds his place in the world belonging to Andy. And then comes along Buzz Lightyear, and, and, and Woody is worried. His fear is that... that more of his owner's love for the newcomer would go to, to Buzz and that meant less of his owner's love for himself. And so it's this big battle throughout. Who will find the love of their owner? And by the end of the movie, we realise that our cowboy hero recognises there's room in his owner's heart to love them both so they all might belong. And everyone stands going, yes, this is what we love. This is a story of human belonging. We want to belong. But as you follow the trajectory of the Toy Story franchise, things get a little twisted. In Toy Story 2, sorry if you haven't seen them, but they've been out 17, 18 years by now. <laughs> in Toy Story 2, Woody is not ashamed to be a toy. He's not ashamed at all in finding his pleasure pleasing someone else because he knows that's what he's made for. And he the rest, and the rest of the toys take, take joy from belonging to someone, from recognising that meaning in life comes from the joy of belonging to someone greater than yourself. But as the plot goes further into Toy Story 3, we meet Lotso, the villain. And everyone's like, ooh. And he puts forward another view of our identity, another view than belonging to someone else. He says this, no owners means no worries. We don't need owners at Sunnyside. We own ourselves. We are masters of our own destiny. Now, isn't that the hope of the world around us today? I want to be the master of my own destiny. I don't want to be owned by someone else. I want to choose what I want to do. And this is life to its fullest. And this is what is being toyed with in the movie Toy Story. But in Toy Story 3, the toys find their hope in belonging not to themselves, but to another owner. No, they belong to an owner. They still exist to please another until Toy Story 4 comes along. And the world has changed. The villain's philosophy in Toy Story 3, that we have no owners actually becomes the hero's hope. The villain's philosophy becomes the hero's hope. 
The 2019 world sees belonging to someone else as a constrictive idea, and the view of finding your meaning in someone else's happiness is repulsive. And so in Toy Story 4, we see Woody having had enough of his time pleasing someone else. He eventually heeds the advice of a good friend and chooses to find his own meaning in life. He decides to become a lost toy on this road with Forky. You'll see him. No owner, only to live for himself. And that, for him, is the, is the hope of the movie. And the very series that had fought at the beginning, the, the idea that the series had pushed against, that our joy is found in belonging to another, is pushed aside. And the hope now in Toy Story 4 is life lived for yourself, is life lived for the full. Friends, there's a trajectory going on in culture, in our lives, that Toy Story shows us and that we see when we come to the Bible and to history and to Christmas. The moment we think we were made for ourselves, we're only going to disappoint and damage. Disappoint ourselves and others, not living up to, to what we were made for and damage others because, well, we're not our own and we can't live that way in the world around us. If Jesus made you and me and he made us for his purpose, if that is true, then the greatest joy in life will come from finding that we Belong to him. Don't believe the lie of the world around us. Don't believe the trajectory of Toy Story and the trajectory of human history. The desire to belong is stitched into every single one of us. The problem is we think we can choose who we belong to. But the astonishing news of Christianity and what we celebrate at this time of Christmas is that God sent his son into the world so that we might belong to him once more. He pursued us in the isolation and mess that we have created to bring us home. In the book of Romans, in the Bible, uh, Paul says this, For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might dare to die. But God proves his own love for us, in that while we were still sinners, people who've turned away from God, Christ died for us. The creator became part of his creation so he might do what we couldn't. He might live a life fully for God, belonging to his Father. He came to take what we should have taken. The punishment for turning our backs on him, as, as people who want nothing to do with God, we deserve what we ask for, life without him, which is no life at all. We deserve death. And as Jesus came into the world and offered us life through his death in our place, he offered us the opportunity to put your life in his hands, to belong to the God who made you and who loves you by accepting what he's done for us in Jesus. In John chapter 1, Jesus introduced to the world stage this way. Listen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. As Jesus enter the, enters the world, he's described as light, true light. As we keep singing Christmas carols and hear them on the radio and through the shopping malls, you keep hearing these carols speaking of light, lighting um, the brilliance coming, dawn coming, the, the lighting up of what God has done. Why do you think Jesus is described as light? He's described that way because he brings light. He brings the light that we need. And on Christmas, we see two incredibly important things he brings to light. 
Firstly, he reveals that he is our creator. He's our owner. That means that we're not our own. We all belong to him. If we were made by him, you belong to him. That's the decision we've all got to make. Who do I belong to? Stitched into every single one of us is a fact that we are made in God's image. It's almost as if we have God written on the bottom of one of our feet because we're made in the image of God. That's why humanity is so important. That's why we value human life so much more. We were made by him and we were made for him. This Christmas, I would love for us to not fall into the trap of Lotso the bear and think that we don't need owners, that we own ourselves because there is so much better life coming. There's life knowing that we belong to God. It won't end well living for ourselves. We won't belong. We won't endure because it's not what we are made for. But that's not all Christmas reveals. The good news is that the same God that we've all walked away from The same God that we naturally try to live lives without because we want to put ourselves at the center of the world is a God that loves you and me so much that he stepped into his creation. Unlike Andy, Woody's owner, who put Woody and Buzz in a box and left them behind, God became flesh and dwelt amongst us. He chased after us. He stepped into our world, becoming human fully, dying in our place so that we might have life even though we've rejected him. See, God made you and me for life with him. That is where you belong. And he wants to come back. He wants you and me to come back and belong to the giver of life once more. Today, as we gather together and think about what Christmas is, there'll be some of us here that feel disconnected from God, either because we want that, we don't want anything to do with him, or maybe we just feel disconnected and don't know how to seek him, how to understand him. God might not be on the forefront of our minds, neither would our belonging to him. But underneath, I want to put it to you that we are like flowers in a florist, beautiful for a time, yet daily shriveling away from the purpose that we are made for when we are not connected to him, from the life that we're intended to live Each and every one of us is dying. And what happens is we we look at the beauty of one another and we experience the the smells of the flowers and think life is going well, this is life to its fullest, but we don't realise that we've been cut from the source. But the good news is Jesus says it doesn't have to stay that way. Jesus came so that we might be grafted back into the source of life. He came and died in our place so that we could live forever with him. So if that's you this Christmas... If you're disconnected from God, I want to encourage you, don't settle for a Toy Story 4 Christmas. Our trajectory doesn't have to end apart from God, but it can end with him, for we were made to belong to him. And that's an incredible joy. Life that doesn't end with death. Life with God forever. If that's you today and you've recognized that you've walked away from the one you belong to, I want to encourage you, come to Jesus. Come and investigate the historicity of who he is and what he's done. Actually look at the evidence. We're not just saying believe it blindly. We're saying have a look at who he is. Look at what history points to. And then come and experience the joy of belonging to him. Chat to whoever invited you here today or come and chat to me after the service. I'll be up the front. I'll be happy to chat to you about any questions you've got at all. You can let us know on a little card that's inside your outline. If you want to find out more or if you've got questions, we love to walk alongside you in this and explore more of who Jesus is. But for others of us today who do belong to Jesus, 
We've accepted him as the one that we belong to, but sometimes we feel like our owner has lost some of his shine. We can be tempted to think that we're better off belonging to someone else, ourselves. I want to encourage us all this Christmas that there is no one better to belong to than Jesus. God become flesh. The one who lived and died and rose again is coming back again. And so we see that belonging in life is found in coming to him. Why don't you join with me as we pray together? Lord God, we thank you so much that Jesus stepped into this world not because he had to, but because he wanted to, because he loves us, because you love us. We pray this Christmas would be a time that we get to focus on the reality of of God become flesh, of you reaching out and showing us where we belong, that we are yours, and that we might find true hope and joy in recognizing our identity and purpose is to serve you and be in relationship with you and know you, and that that relationship might not end, but that lasts forever. Lord, we bring to you this Christmas time so many who are without, those who don't feel like they belong, whether that be in family or in society. We ask that you give us um, the opportunity to, to, to share the hope we have and to love and look after the world around us, not in order that you, we might be made good enough for you, but because you've loved us despite who we are. Father God, we thank you so much for Jesus, the light of this world, that we can see him, we can trust him, we can know him. And we ask you to send us out into your world, living for you, experiencing the joy of belonging. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.